Good morning. We are currently doing a series on Exodus, and last week Kev did a great job looking at God's redemption. And this week, I will be looking at um, a story of God's provision. If you didn't get to listen to last week's, do make a a point of listening to it on the podcast because it's brilliant. But I want us to explore this morning the fact that God always provides. Let's pray. Almighty God, please show us today how you always provide, regardless of where we find ourselves. Amen. God always provides. He doesn't always provide what we want, but he always provides what we need. How will he provide, you might ask? How will he provide when I've just found out that my parents are getting a divorce, that a loved one is terminally ill, I've lost my job, I've just found out there was an accident, I suffer from depression. How will he provide when all I can think of at this stage is that I went to get out from where I am now. I just want to go. I believe that whatever questions we ask, we can find an answer to that in the Bible. Not because the Bible is basic instructions before we leave earth, but because it tells us the big story of who God is, the meta-narrative of God's provision. So why don't you turn with me to Exodus 15, please. I love this because it's one of the most powerful stories that teach us how God provides for the Israelites on their journey from Egypt to the promised land. Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days They were traveling in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink it because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So after the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, they traveled in the desert for three days and they were desperate to find water. When they finally came to water, it was bitter. So they go back to Moses complaining, what are we going to drink? Now, I don't know about you, but I get irritated when my husband and children come to me and ask what's for dinner. I can't begin to imagine what Moses felt like having millions of them saying, what are we going to do? No wonder he cried to God. They've come to a place where it's impossible for them to come up with a solution. They have no choice but to go to God. The Lord replies to Moses by showing him a piece of wood. 
There's something about this that I haven't noticed before. It reminds me of those times when I go to ask and I, uh, to God and I ask him to provide for me. And he shows me something that I think is seemingly irrelevant. How is that going to help? How is forgiving someone going to help me find accommodation? How is praising you in all circumstances going to help me deal with that incorrigible colleague I have at work? All through Exodus, it shows us how God provides what we need, when we need it, but not in the way that they thought it was going to. Who would have thought that throwing a piece of wood in bitter water would make it sweet? Or that hitting a rock with a stick would supply enough water to quench the thirst of two million people and their livestock? Or that God could provide them with such a substance of food that no one had ever seen before or since, purely to sustain them through their 40 years in the wilderness? It was such a unique food that the only name they could come up for it was manna, which means, what is it? Who could have foreseen that merely pointing a staff to heaven would help your army win a battle? Will we listen to God when the next step he requires of us doesn't make sense? Will we, like Moses, choose to listen to what God says and in doing so, experience God's provision. You don't get to read much in Exodus before you get to those sticky bits, the bits that you don't quite like or the bits that you don't quite understand. Verse 25 reads, the Lord tested them. God is not testing them because he doesn't know what is going on in their hearts. Quite the contrary. He is testing them. He knows what's in their hearts, but he's not trying to learn something from them. He is, however, trying to manifest to the people themselves what their own rebellious nature looks like. Because once they understand that, they can understand the huge mercy and grace of our powerful God. God always provides what we need, but not always what we want. This is true, especially when God requires that through pain, he is going to rescue us. Let's not forget that at this stage of the journey, the Israelites are a group of ex-slaves who have been exposed to generations of Egyptian idol worship. They didn't know who they were created to be, and they didn't really know who God was. In order for them to fully embrace the rich blessing God had for them and their children, they needed to let go of some of the unhealthy habits they picked up along the way. One of the emphases in Exodus is God's revelation of himself and of his character. Look at the end of verse 26, how God reveals to them, for I am the Lord who heals you. God is passionately pursuing them because he wants to bring healing to their lives. God is trying to teach the Israelites that they should look to him alone to provide all their needs. He was trying to teach them, as Kev mentioned last week, that nothing is impossible for God. He loved them. He longed to have a relationship with them. 
He wanted to teach them to trust him. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find myself reading what the characters in the Bible do and think, I would never do that. I first asked God of how you could possibly provide when at the age of 12, I heard that my parents were going to get a divorce. I could not see how anything good could come of it. All I knew was the pain I had, the anger, and I sat in self-pity. I am so grateful that I have a mom who who taught me that we always have a choice. If we don't choose to turn to God every single time, we run the risk that our faith will die. The best choice for me was to put my trust in God. And because of this, I could move into having a real living relationship with Jesus. I can see now how this painful season taught me that God is able to provide everything I need. I can see now that he could provide in all my physical needs, even though we didn't have enough money. He could comfort me when it hurt so much that there was nowhere that I could go to escape the pain. And he could provide, a or, he could provide order in total chaos when my mom was trying to find out what it looks like to be a single mom. Fast forward a couple of years to September 2000. My husband and I are returning from our first visit to the Southwest London Vineyard Church when he turns to me and he says, I think God wants us to settle in London. I was furious. I said to him, if this is God, I want a baby, I want a house, I want a church, I want a support network, I want friends, and I want family. (laughs) Everything I asked for happened in two weeks. Well, not having the baby, but we did find out I was pregnant on the Tuesday. (laughs) The rest of my requests were were answered in the order that I asked within the two weeks. So I said, fine, it might be God, I'm still not happy. (laughs) I felt I was being punished by God. I was serving a prison sentence for something I must have done wrong at some point. It felt like he was asking me to leave my homeland, the land flowing with milk and honey, and he was putting me into the wilderness, London, the very place I had spoken to as a God-forsaken land. The only way I could see out of this difficult place was if God would move us back to South Africa. Three years after realizing that God wanted us to settle in London, I felt I was dying inside. I had lost all hope that we would ever go back to South Africa. And I was intensely jealous of all those people who would come to us and say, God called us to South Africa so we could be with our family. During this time, I had many conversations with God, begging him to send us back, asking what I needed to do just so we could go back. But I finally got to the end of myself. I could see that there was no way I could make this work. So I turned to God and I said, okay, God, if this is where you want me to be, then you will, please, will you change my heart? Because I'm dying inside. Now, I can't tell you how or when he did it, but I can tell you when I first knew that he did it. 
It was when we were on the plane back from a family holiday to South Africa. I looked at my husband and I said to him, you know, I have the strangest feeling. It feels like we're flying home. I had a complete change of heart to the point that when we did our financial planning a year later, my husband nearly fell off his chair when I said that if anything were to ever happen to him, I would choose to stay in the UK. It was this experience that made me realize that when God provides in all our needs, unless it changes our hearts, we remain unsatisfied. Now, you would think that I would have learned something from this experience, that the next time God asked us to move, I would go, of course, Lord, I'm there. I know you provide everything. I'm with you. Unfortunately, I was so happy where he had settled us that I got even more upset when it became clear that God wanted us to move from Wimbledon to Wellen. In fact, it was three years ago to the day that we first scouted St. Albans Vineyard and we sat around that white pillar there. Now, I was definitely grumbling. I suppose the positive thing this time around was that it only took me weeks instead of years to change my prayer from God, I'm not moving, to okay God, if you're moving us, I will go because I know that you will provide in all my needs. God always provides what we need, even if it is discipline. Even though God doesn't provide pain for the sake of pain, it is never easy being disciplined. I totally agree with one of my daughters who said to me this week, Mama, I don't know anybody who likes to be disciplined. I think it feels even worse as we grow older. It's never nice. But I'm always grateful to those people around me who are bold enough to step up and hold a mirror up for me so I can see what I look like and how what I do sometimes isn't always what God wants me to do. The most painful discipline I ever got from God was when he was trying to teach me that I needed to know that he loved me because he loved me, not because of what I was doing. Looking back, I can see how he often tried to teach this to me, but it was such an ingrained habit that we had reached the point where he needed to, do drast to take drastic measures. A bit like the point we reach as parents when we've realized that nothing is working, so the only next step is to ban TV and computer from our children. God told me that I had to stop doing everything I was doing in church until I knew that he loved me because he loved me. Oh, that was painful. I love doing stuff. I love serving. It was like he was taking away my lifeline. But now that I'm through the other side of it, I am so grateful that God did that when he did because it has saved me an awful lot of heartache and pain this side of heaven. And now I can start serving again, not because I'm trying to impress people, but because it flows from um, a response of God's love to me. God provided everything and more for us when we first moved from South Africa to London, and again when we moved from Wimbledon to Wellen. 
God has always provided what we needed and when we needed it, but it didn't always look the way we thought it would. Not only has God always provided a babysitter, will, sorry, not all, only has God always been willing to provide a babysitter for us in the 13 years we've been here, whether we've needed someone for a night, a weekend, or a week, and we don't have family in the UK. God has also provided me with some of the most amazing and treasured friends, people I would never have met if we didn't move here. Despite all this, I still found myself crying at the kitchen table one sunny morning last Sunday, last summer. <laughs> I was trying to explain to a friend how following Jesus costs so much. How he not only asked us to move country, but he also asked us to move from a place he had given us to well in. Even with all his provision, I found myself struggling with the pain that change brings. The loss of friendships, support networks, and seeing our family only once every two years. She patiently listened to me unload, and then she looked at me as she asked me this question. What if God did not ask you to sacrifice South Africa and Wimbledon? But what if he rescued you from it? What if God did not ask you to sacrifice South Africa and Wimbledon, but what if he rescued you from it? It was as if someone had switched a light on. I had only ever before concentrated on the cost of moving. I had never before looked at the benefits of moving. What was God revealing to me with this? Why did he let us move? Why has it taken me years to realize this, to get to a place where I can embrace it for the good that God has for me? In moving from South Africa to London, God rescued me from being a people pleaser. And he moved me to a place where my heart is to first please him. In moving us from London to Wallen, God rescued me from the sin of self-pity and he is in the process of rescuing me from the comfort I find in food, even though I know that Jesus is the only place to find comfort. He has had to be patient with me. He's known it would take almost 40 years before I was ready to admit that self-pity was a sin. Turning to food, to, sorry, turning to food for comfort has been an ingrained habit, and I've done it for 28 years. But now I have finally woken up to the fact that I have a choice. I choose before, before I put that piece of food in my mouth. I have a choice. I can turn to God and ask him to provide my comfort because he is the God that could make the seemingly impossible possible. He is the God who heals. I'm starting to understand what it means when Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I will give you all these other things. Isn't it just like God to use what is around us in a way that we could never imagine in order to provide in our every need?
God already knows when the Israelites promise the first time that they will do what God asks, that there's no way they can stick to that, that it would be impossible for them to keep to this, and that he would have to step in and give them the ultimate provision, his son, Jesus. Everything in Exodus points to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who was able to free us from the sins that enslave us. Jesus is the only source that will satisfy the thirst we have. Jesus died on the cross for us so that our bitter lives can be made sweet. Jesus rose again from the dead so that when we are stuck in a situation and we think our faith has died or that it's impossible to get through this, we, he can bring life where there was death. When God gave them manna day in, day out for 40 years, he was trying to teach them that man will not live from bread alone but from the words of the Lord. Jesus quoted this scripture when he was being tempted by the devil. He used this so that we wouldn't give up, so that we can use it when we are in a place where we are so tired and fed up of getting the same provision from God over and over again. God is providing us what we need not always what we want. He is the God who did not let the Israelites feed swell or their clothes wear out for the entire season in the wilderness. God always provides what we need. It is not always what we want and it doesn't always happen in the way that we think it should. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as he provided for the Israelites for all that time that they were in the wilderness, he can provide for me and for you wherever we are. He will provide for each one of us. He will provide everything we need when we need it, but it will not always look how we want it to look, but he will provide. Not only on an individual level, but also for us as a church, as the bride of Christ. I believe it is only when we are in this season where we've come to the end of ourselves that we look to God and we see that he is the God that provides. He is the God of Ephesians 3 verse 20 who says that he is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. No one likes to spend time in the wilderness, but it is a place we all get to visit. Some of you have already been there. Some of you are right in the middle of it. Some of you are not there and you're wondering what it looks like going in. But let me tell you, don't fear this place because it is the very place where we find exponential growth. 
It is in this place, if we choose every time to turn our hearts to God and to not turn away from God, that God will give us the ultimate provision. He will give us a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. I pray that you would minister to each one of us, regardless of where we find ourselves. And I especially pray for those who feel that they are stuck out in the wilderness, that you would help them to keep turning their hearts to you. Come, Jesus. Help them to see that you are the ultimate provision. Amen.